Your property podcast comes to you with thanks to our friends at Trafalgar Square Finance, leading independent specialists in mortgages and all types of property finance. Whether it's buy-to-let, development or bridging finance, Trafalgar Square can help you organise your funding for your next property project. Exclusively to listeners of Your Property Podcast, Trafalgar Square offer a free one-to-one consultation. So whether you are a portfolio landlord looking to raise funds on your existing portfolio, or if you're just starting out and want to find out if you are eligible for a buy-to-let mortgage, Trafalgar Square Finance can help. It's easy to book with one of their experienced consultants by simply visiting yourpropertynetwork.co.uk forward slash finance. You can find this link in the show notes for more details. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Your Property Podcast. My name is Michelle Cairns, and with us, we have got Safe Dirty. Hi, Safe. Hi, Michelle. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on, and uh, it's great to kind of see your name popping up here and there, everywhere. And uh, and I just thought let's let's get you on because you've been on a couple of other podcasts that I've seen and heard, and uh, I thought let's let's have our listeners hear your story as well. So oh. I know you've got a background in the pharmaceutical industry, and you've moved into property. So do you want to just sort of tell people just a quick overview of how that happened? Yeah, sure. So um, I very much come from an academic background. So kind of did a master's in pharmacy. And then obviously we do like a year's training. So that's kind of like five years end to end. So undergrad, master's plus training. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know why I chose pharmacy. I just did. It was just one of these things, you know, when you're 17 years old doing your UCAS application, I kind of just went for it. Um, And then quickly realized really sort of two years into, into the career, it just wasn't for me. I just found too much repetition in what I was doing and I almost felt, felt like a, a button pusher in, in a way. So I kind of thought, you know what, I'm actually going to do something about this and I'm going to try and change things rather than just moaning about it, which, you know, a lot of people were doing at the time in terms of colleagues and stuff, you know, they weren't they weren't liking what they were doing. But I thought, let me take a bit of leap for faith. Let me do something different. And yeah, you know, parachute was off and, and off we went really on this uh, entrepreneurial skydiving journey. Um, and that's just how did you jump into property because it's quite a different industry to uh to jump to uh, absolutely so we the, the bridge for me was i got into business but it was a non-property business it was a healthcare related business but very much you know took a lot away from that into property because essentially what i was doing it didn't really have anything to do with pharmacy i mean it was great that i had the pharmacy background but more of it was i went to a lot of the uk manufacturers that were basically producing vitamins healthcare supplements and, and pharmaceuticals and um, said to them, look, there's all this business abroad that you're not exploring the export markets. You're all focusing on the UK. I can help you open up doors without it costing you a single penny. And I just make a margin on top of your prices. It was a win-win situation. Although 15 of them said no. And a couple of them only said yes at the time. Well, one of them only said yes to start off with. And then a few of them started to warm up to the idea. Because obviously, you know, I'm coming in with no background, no personal brand, no company brand, no nothing behind me, really. Just a a limited company that I've opened up a couple of you know weeks back and uh just being tenacious really and obviously I was still young but anyway we um it was it was quite challenging for me the first year of business and I always say this you know ended up losing uh probably about 30 40 grand for basically my emails got intercepted etc um but I sort of came back from that and I think the first year in sorry the second year in business that we were doing this for the company we increased their revenue by 900 grand for them um, and we we made a tidy commission off of that as well. And that was kind of my first hurdle into this. 
And I thought, okay, there, there is a bit of a business here. So start to do that for other manufacturers, started to travel the world to like places like Dubai and stuff like that. They have healthcare exhibitions there. So basically representing these companies' products. And we just started to basically tie a distributor. So effectively, I was a facilitator, a middleman, tying the, the kind of distributors to the manufacturers. But to me, that was the first start of business, entrepreneurship. I, I basically started with nothing and I created something out of nothing. Um, and when I made a bit of money from that, I thought, what do I do? So it was a crossroads. I either go in what most younger people try and do is, is obviously spend it and enjoy it. Or do I go and invest it and sustain that money for the long term? Luckily, I chose the, the latter rather than the former. So I kind of was a bit more sensible in my decision making. And this is back in 2015. That's when I bought my first property, basically. Wow, that's uh, quite the entrepreneurial journey then. I'm sure lots of entrepreneurs will relate to the ups and downs and uh, the financial highs and lows, of course, as well. Uh, but as you say, you know, all of these you know, different points in your life have, have led you to now. And, and uh, these are skill sets that, uh, of course, transferable in, in the property business. Uh, you know, wh whatever the actual commodity is, the business skills are very similar um and uh, and as you said you use them along the way so okay so what was your first so you've got this some money to invest how did you decide what to go with was it just sort of park it and you know a bit of cash flow but you just the, the, the priority was to park it or did you want to use it effectively so the first sort of three years in property businesses as such was more about me trialing testing doing different things just to kind of understand the process just really sort of understand the mechanics behind how property transactions work, the business side of things works, et cetera. And the first deal I ever did was basically, and it, this was, again, it was just very much came naturally to me. I was kind of, I was living in Manchester. I saw what happened in sort of Salford, you know, when they had Media City and everything else that they were developing, all this nice, shiny new builds. And I thought, well, why don't I buy a secondhand property where the new build premium has basically been amortized and is basically uh, been knocked off. So you're effectively paying secondhand pricing for, for something which, you know, is going to be overlooked by some new builds, which are over here. So hopefully those valuations will pull these up. Um, and, and that's what I did. I basically, I bought something um, that eventually I realized was actually off market. Although I didn't realize at the time there was a property on the market. We offered on it. We didn't get it. And the agent then called me up and said, I've got a lady that's actually selling an identical property in the same block. It's not on the market yet. Do you want to offer on it? I can send you pictures. So, you know, that just what happened organically. Um, I paid 93000 for that flat in 2015. Nothing clever. As I said, just bought it from an agent. 2018, I believe, we refinanced it at 150000 No refurb, no nothing. It was just a flat that we bought, rented out for £700 a month, and, and that was that. So, you know, that was the kind of taster into, okay, there's something here behind it. Even if you just did one of those a year, you know, the capital appreciation of property is just massive. The, the, the income is just a bonus for me. It's more about, about you know, the capital appreciation. Did about three other deals in 2017. So we did some student HMOs and dipped our toes into that 2017. And then you kind of fast forward from 2018 to today. We've done over 170 property deals for ourselves. That is not even, I'm not even counting for, for clients what we've done. Um, and that's because we are very much, uh, we're very um, corporate in our thinking in terms of, I'm trying to always think, how can we do this at scale? And that's why I kind of understood the model and tried to scale it rather than kind of just going for a smaller proportion of things and focusing on, on that specifically. So did you say 117 or 70? 70, 70, 
Wow, 170. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> you definitely haven't gone for the kind of cookie cutter approach of just getting that first deal and then carrying on with single lets. You've gone straight up into uh, HMOs from that. Do you want to talk to us about that journey then from the first one up to 170? Because that's <laughs> quite a unique journey. Absolutely. So there's, there's lots of trial and error, right, at the end of the day. So I've tried everything. I've tried rent to rent. I've tried service combination. I've tried HMOs. And within that, we tried to, you know, we're just on the brink of scaling. And then we realized something was wrong. And then we kind of pulled back on certain things. So it's all trial and error at the end of the day. And, and we also tried new build development, commercial conversion. We did everything, really. So we tried lots of different things to kind of have it all on our CV in order to then make our decision and make our commercial mindset up on what do we want to kind of scale and go out. Because as, especially on the property entrepreneurial side of things, we almost throw so much stuff on the wall and just figure out what kind of sticks rather yeah. than kind of just go with one because we think, well, what if this doesn't work? So we're almost thinking, you know, that mindset of what if it fails? So we try and do lots of different things just in case one of them doesn't work. But actually sometimes you go back to focus is, is key. But anyway, so what we did is we tried lots of different things the two things that really, really worked for us was single lets and building a portfolio of single lets. The reasoning behind that was it wasn't very operationally intensive to manage it. So we set up a sister company that was a management company. We had all the asset management in-house. So asset management in terms of the purchasing, the refurb, if we had to refurb it, and the, and the refinancing side of things, that was all done in-house. And then we asset managed via basically the, the lettings company. Um, so that's why we didn't do HMO, service combination, all of this kind of stuff, because we couldn't scale that to a proportion. So we kind of kept it really, really simple and simplicity allows scalability. And then on the flip side, we felt developments held us back. We felt new builds held everything, all of that stuff held us back. So what nice. we got really good at is what we call trading properties. And this is why we did do volume. So trading was purely buying it or being able to buy it right and then selling it via auction or via an agent, whatever, and just constantly trading. So not necessarily doing a refurb or anything like that, just buying and selling, buying and selling, and just sandwiching, albeit a smaller margin, but doing that at, at volume. So that was a kind of key pivotal moment for us is figuring out that model is the scalable side of the trading side of our business. This model is the scalable part of our investment business, which is a single S, and we're doing them kind of in parallel together at the minute. Okay, so so when you refer to trading, is that the same as what people understand as sourcing? Mm, trading is is no. So let me let me let me kind of break it down uh, in in a way. So let's just say, Michelle, you come through our website, which is called Property Buyers Today. You have either had a property that's gone through probate because maybe you know your parents have kind of left it for you as as you you are the executor, etc., and you're basically inheriting this property. You might have waited two, three years for that property to go through probate, and you've already in your head spent that money on other things, invested at whatever. And at that time, you then don't want to go through another six to nine months on average to sell it on the market through an agent. And you're not looking for top dollar because you've not paid for it yourself. You just want to get the money out. So people come to our cash buying website because they want speed and they want certainty. So what they won't get is they won't get the price that they necessarily want in terms of the open market price but we'll often speed inserted. So we completed a transaction last week. It came to us last Monday. We completed on Friday. So that was a five-day transaction. Um, and that's what they get with, when they come to us. So if they say we need to complete in two weeks, we'll complete it in two weeks for them. And we take a lot of a lot more risk on uh, by, by doing that. So we give them the certainty that it's going to complete. And when you think about it, if your back's against the wall and you genuinely need cash and all you have is an asset to sell, like a property, it's a very illiquid asset. You can't really sell it that, you know, 
And people can mess you around on the market with agents. So we give them the certainty and that's what they want. And in return, we're normally around 80, 85% of, of the market value on average. Um, so we get all sorts of things. Landlords that don't want to kick tenants out will have problematic tenants that will come to us. Um, just people that want to sell discreetly for whatever reason, people going through divorce, all sorts of scenarios. So they come to us as a cash buying company. We buy it quickly. Now, we might buy at 80% of its value. We'll then put it into auction, for example, and try and get 85, 90% of its value, maybe on a good day, 95, depending. Um, and that's all we're doing. So we're buying it and we're selling it ourselves directly, basically, into auction or into open market. Um, and we're making a smaller margin. Right, I see. So you're basically sort of like an auction, like auction house yourself, but because you have agreed to buy it, you've given that person the certainty, you purchase it and then you do what you like with it. And and, and the easiest solution for you is just put it actually into auction and then you can get a profit from, from that. Correct. That right? And people are like, well, why don't they go to auction? Yeah. Auction still doesn't <laughs> offer certainty. That's exactly, so- yeah, that's what I mean. So you you're actually offering the piece of certainty that the auction doesn't that's right and the speed as well so an auction typically it'll take you three to four weeks to market it and list it another four or five weeks or whatever it is to sell it and then it might not it might exchange it might not exchange it might complete it might not complete so people that really need that speed and certainty to come to us now as a result of this kind of business that we've set up we get so many leads you know we get over two three hundred leads sometimes on, on a given month and some of those leads don't work for us so we have a um, an investor club basically through our through our sort of letco uh, letco brand of the business or letco side of the business an investor club where people want to just build a portfolio, but they don't want to go to agents and do all the hard work of trying to agree the deal and negotiate the deal and do the viewings. So we give them the deals on a table, albeit it's not as discounted as what we would buy it for, but they're still getting a good discount than what it would go to the market for for sure, or even go go to auction yeah. for. So we have a list of a black book of some really good buyers that that also act with speed and certainty, but they don't want to be spending thousands of pounds a month marketing themselves, having the sales and operations background. They want to just get the deals on a plate. That's what we kind of do. So we help people build portfolios, give them the deal on the plate. We help them mass- manage it and asset manage it as well over the long term. Um, so right. pretty much made for armchair investors. And okay, so, so if someone comes to you with a property, they just want the cash, but the speed and certainty is more important than the price okay yeah. that in my mind i'm thinking wow to get that amount of speed and certainty where you're talking about a matter of weeks of completing then there has to be some sort of huge discount off quote unquote the market price sure. so uh is there a, a kind of set rule that you've got it's like you do your due diligence whatever you think it is is like knock 25 percent off or how does that work yeah, it's a good, really good question. So basically, we've and and we've built this over time. This has never been perfect. It probably still isn't perfect, but we built basically built an underwriting process. And this is why we are so specific with what we buy. So we only buy residential properties predominantly. That's our main niche. Um, and the reason is, if we start to go outside of that, it starts to slow us down. So with a residential property, we can underwrite a property in easily twenty minutes. So if you send us a property, we can get back to you in twenty minutes with an offer as to what we'll pay for it. Now we do have you know, software that we use, but you always use lots of different data points. So a lot of those data points probably doesn't differ too much to what people use on a day-to-day basis. We've just locked that all into a process. Yeah. Plus we've got software, bank grade software that obviously some of the banks use to do their desktop valuations, et cetera, that we would use on top of that. So we layer things in and um, yeah, we, we basically have 
one or two people that would underwrite the deal as, as just to give that, that kind of human interaction as well, because software doesn't do everything for you. Um, so we have lines of defense within that. So you know, we've got layers of tech and software and data points, plus we've got one or two people as lines of defense, and that's how we kind of do it really. Um, but I, I enjoy doing that as well. Like that's a big part of what I like to do and, and enjoy doing it. And uh, as I said, realistically, any residential property within England, so we don't really buy in Scotland, Wales is kind of hit and miss, but generally speaking, we try and avoid Wales. But any properties within England, up and down, we're generally able to to buy. So, but that gives you a that process gives you a desktop valuation, if you like, and then uh, how do you decide what it's worth to you? Sure. So we are not looking at development value. We're not looking at once it's optimal. We're looking at what is that property worth as of today. So if you went, Michelle, and, and tried to put that property into auction or put it into open market, what would it sell for? So we call the auction valuation the four-week valuation, i.e. if you need to sell it in four weeks, what would be the valuation? The open market is more of a 180-day to kind of 360-day, depending on that. That's the kind of valuation. Then we always go off the auction valuation or the four-week valuation. Um, and that's what it's worth to us today. And we'd normally go off a percentage of that. So usually we're about 15 20% off of, okay. off of that. Um, but sometimes we like the area, we like the property, we like the deal, whatever it is, we could be a bit more. So it very much depends on people's circumstances. One thing we always say to people as well, as well as, you know, from our perspective, we're not trying to push people to a service that, that, that doesn't necessarily work for them. So yeah. from 100 phone calls, we'll get five or six of them might work. And then three of them actually end up becoming a deal because a large yeah. part of the audience that kind of gets attracted to our proposition don't want to give away the equity. And that's absolutely fine because we know our service is not for everyone. So rather than push people down the service and then they end up getting cold feet, whatever, after a couple of weeks or maybe a couple of days, depending, we'd rather at the outset say, look, are you, do you, do you have six, nine months to sell your property? Do you need the certainty? Is your property mortgageable? If it's like, yes, 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 the service isn't for you. Maybe keep our details in case it falls through a couple of times or your chain breaks or something like that. But, but we are not your first point of call. We are your last point of call yeah. in those circumstances. If you said yes to it is unmortgageable, we're probably your first point of call. If it if you said yes to, you know, six, nine months, I can't wait six, nine months, we're probably first. You see what I mean? But if yeah. if you don't have any of those circumstances, it, you're probably best going to a local agent. Yeah, it depends entirely on that person's motivation. How Correct. important is that speed and certainty to them? Okay, so um so you've you've got this, I guess, the option of putting it through the auction, or you've got your investor club as well. And right. um does it go to the investor club first? And then if it doesn't sell, it goes to auction. How does that bit work? To be honest with you, and that's a good, everyone says, how do you allocate properties, you know, within kind of your, your multiple businesses? We are very fair with everything that we do. So for me, I don't want to put everything into auction and then not service the investor club because all of these are trading businesses for us as well. And obviously if we do, if we have done that, then no one will stay in the investor club. It's just a waste of time, right? Because a lot of those clients are retained clients. So they probably paid a thousand pound plus that just to be a retained client so they can actively get those deals. So from, from our perspective, to be honest with you, it very much comes down to trying to spread everything as, as much as possible, where, where possible. Now, okay. when you look at the auction market as well, not every property works for the auction market. So generally speaking, auction market doesn't like certain things like tenanted properties, kind of shies away from it. What the auction market likes is the classic homes under the hammer needs a full refurb it looks absolutely terrible that's what the auction market loves and that's probably what not the investor the investor club probably doesn't want that yeah so we kind of allocate things accordingly so if it's tenanted it's got a good margin it's in a good city like nottingham sheffield leeds whatever 
that will always go to the investor club because that's where it's going to be best suited. If it's a really, really run down house in the middle of nowhere or you know, whatever, and it needs a full amount of works, we'd probably go more towards the kind of auction route because it kind of suits it better. Yeah, that makes sense. And do you find at the moment with your investor club that people are looking for a certain type of property or a certain type of deal? Most of our, so so this is the difference between our investors and the majority of the other, the, the rest of the investors out there. So our investors are not coming to us being very specific. Like I want a property within these postcodes. It's not an emotional decision for them. They're coming to us saying, we've got 100K to invest. This is a pension pot for us. We need to see a return on our investment. So it's very much an economical numbers driven decision. And from our perspective, we're saying to them, that's fine, leave it with us. Now, the property can be technically anywhere because we're managing it, we're asset managing it for them. And just to give you an example of, because people are like, well, what does asset management actually mean? Asset management is basically trying to effectively manage the agent, as people call it. So managing the agent. So have the rents been collected every single month? Have you had rent increases year on year? Because, you know, rather than waiting 10 years to do a rent increase, can you not do a smaller rent increase every single year consistently? Um, can you maximize the value of that property by getting a different tenant type? So, for example, a recent exercise we've gone through is uh, we have a, a lady that has a property with us that's rented out £600 a month. We've just basically let her know we had a guaranteed rent housing association provider come to us recently with a mandate to that area and said, we're happy to pay £900 for that property. No arrears, no, um, you know, no, no voids, no arrears, no nothing. And we basically said, look, I think we need to give the tenant six months notice more than I mean the tenant was it was on a rolling contract so they were going to be looking at buying something anyway so it was kind of like in a in a, in a way it kind of all worked out so we said look I'm not going to give you two months on a section 21 we'll give you six months more than enough time to find a property and we'll help you but that landlord's all of a sudden gone from 600 to 900 pounds yeah that's a 50 percent increase that they got so we're helping people and landlords to actually increase the amount that they're getting from these properties because don't forget as an agency that helps us because we're on a percentage basis as well. So, you know, we're finding win-win within that space as well. So that, that's basically what we do. Right. Okay. Well, for people who are listening and they are looking for their own properties, maybe they're on right move searching for deals, or maybe they are a source themselves. Um, you know, the the idea that you're getting so much volume of these like great deals through your books. Um it must be, you know, they're a bit, they must be a bit envious. Um, are you not tempted to buy some of them yourself? You must see some absolutely fantastic deals. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and the thing is that, you know, sources are not necessarily envious because we work with them, we partner with them. So okay. for sources, a big part of their business is getting the deals. So sources come to us and they say, well, if we can focus on the investor side of things, could you supply for deals? And we do, we work with, there's lots of sources that, come to us okay. and work with us so it's a more of a partnership type model right. um because as i said we're open for business whatever it is if you can if they've got the clients and we've got the deals absolutely it makes sense um and and everything's about managing deal flow at the same time so we would never compromise the deal flow to for example you know our investor club so we always find a balance between everything um but generally speaking we do buy deals so that's one thing that we we, we set this whole business up for ourselves to buy and as we started to grow and get economies of scale, we then realized not everything works for us. We can't buy everything. That's when this started as a byproduct, where we started to build portfolios for other people. So we are very much working on the same on the same wavelength as everyone else. We'll buy stuff for our own portfolio. We'll buy stuff to sell. And we'll basically put stuff, put deals into the investor club as well, or as I said, to, to sources. So 
yeah, as I said, we, we kind of control the deal flow. So anyone that anyone that needs deal flow works quite well with us, basically. All right. And you say so the, the ones that don't work for you directly, you're putting the in the uh, deal in the club. But are there leads that come through? Like are you laser focused on like this is for us? And if it's not, we just disregard it. Um, or do you look for any kind of creative ways or is there something you think, wow, there's a big plot of land here. Um, this is not one for us, but we can see the potential. And do you do anything with those creative deals? Absolutely. You know, we we look at things from a three-dimensional point of view all the time because we spend a lot of money on marketing to get these leads yeah. in in the first place. Now, there could be, you know, there could be a deal where it's a 1.1 million pound house, you know, and there's not really much that you can really do with it. There's a massive yeah. stamp duty that you're going to have to pay if you're going to buy it. Not really much. We, funny enough, we have referred that to some of the luxury real estate agencies as well. So I know a few people that work there didn't really get anything out of it, but I just referred it on, on to them because why not? Um, but we did a deal uh, in 2021, well, 2020 slash 2021, which was the deal that we won Property Investor of the Year for yesterday, well, Property Trader of the Year at the Property Investor Awards. And that was very much, a, it was kind of still right in the middle of lockdown, October, uh, sorry, September 2020. We had a couple that basically were going through divorce. They had to sell, they had this three and a half acre site. They had outline planning for 26 houses at the time. They had it on the market for two years at two million, uh, sorry, 1.2 million, and it didn't sell. It's just a really bad agent that was on it. And uh, they, they got to a point of they needed to sell and they sold it to us. We we paid £475,000 for something that we had a RIC, a RIC on at 975. Um, so we paid 50 pence in the pound for that. But bear in mind, they had paid £60,000 for that land. You know, God knows when they bought it, basically. Yeah. But they they were coming out of this with a massive profit. We were coming out of this, obviously, with a profit. But it was who else could complete a three and a half acre yeah. site without investigation, without, without search, without anything in a month, basically, we completed that whole site. You know, 475 grand in their bank, done. We covered their legal costs. There was no agency fees. That, that was net to what they received. And it solved a massive problem for them. Um, and also, to be fair, we did take a risk because we're still in that period of uncertainty, lockdown. No one knew what was going on. But, you know, as entrepreneurs, we've got to take risks. And we sold mm -hmm. that site after we actually completed on it in June 2021. And we sold that at 750 grand via auction as well at the time. So it was a it was a good uplift for us. They obviously got what they wanted out of it. They got their money. They split them. They, they went in their separate ways. And everyone made money. And the developers that bought it from us, you know, I think they had offered us 1.1 million previously. But that was subject to full planning application. Mm -hmm. We didn't want all of that. We, we wanted speed and we wanted certainty. What we offer to clients, we want the growth from buyers. So we decide to take a lower amount just to get deals done, you know, and that's what I say to people. We're not greedy. We're not here to maximize every single deal. We're happy to sell things at trade prices as long as someone's going to offer the speed and the certainty that we need. Yeah. And th that couple, they were free to just put it in auction themselves. But again, even in auction things, even if it exchanges, it still might not complete. Yeah. And, you know, so it might not sell in the auction Then they've got to wait for the next one and all the rest of it. I guess they were just at the end of their tether with it they just wanted and to we get bought rid. it we bought it in september october 2020 which was even if they put an auction at that time they probably wouldn't have got any buyers and we sold it in june 2021 which obviously was yeah. there's a lot more certainty at that point there's a lot more money in the system etc so sometimes if you time things right by buying when there's a lot of negativity and then selling where there's a lot of positivity that was pure coincidence by the way i did not time that 
at all. It's just an incident. <laughs> then you know you can you can you can make money. Let me tell you about this um, situation, Michelle, that happened where people made money off us as well because this goes both ways. We sold a property in I think it was February this year in auction. It was a three-bed semi-attached house in Croydon. Uh, we got a decent price on it, three hundred and twenty-nine thousand five hundred. Probably wasn't exactly where we wanted to get. We wanted to get to about 340, 350, but it was nevertheless a profit for us and we move on. The guy that bought it from us was a property trader as well, so similar to ourselves. He exchanged contracts on it. He asked for a key undertaking in eight weeks to complete, which I knew basically he was what's called doing a back-to-back. So he was looking to exchange with us and sell it to someone else. And I was fine with it. As long as we're selling it and he's buying it from us and we're getting out, we're okay. He sold it two weeks after our auction. And this was genuinely due to timing. Our auction fell on a very negative week. I think it was an interest rate hike week and all the rest of it. Two weeks later, there was positivity. He sold that same property at Savile's auction at, for 364000 So he made nearly 34 grand in the space of basically two, two, two weeks, effectively. Um, now, it took him eight weeks to get the money, but that's my point in terms of timing as well. Okay. It, timing is absolutely crucial. And people could have said, well, we could have sold it auction for 364, but we sold it at 3295 on the day that we did. So yeah. just goes to show. Hand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, talk about timing. We are recording this on the 21st of June, 2023. How are you seeing what's, you know, what's happening for you in the market at the moment? So what's your feel of what's going on? Obviously, we've got more interest rates, uh, rises there, you know, and uh, predicted next week, I think. So yeah. what's... Uh, but there's what's there's two schools of thoughts here, right? So the, there's a the first school of thought, which is basically... If I'm looking at things with a property trading hat, so I'm buying and selling. And there's also another school of thought, which is if you're looking at it from an investment point of view, yeah. very much long-term pension building. Let's talk about investing as a, as a first point of call, because we are also property investors ourselves. When I'm looking at things from a property investing point of view, it's probably one of the most exciting markets to be in right now. And I'll explain why. There is a lot of negativity. There's Section 24, there's interest rate rises, there's EPC changes, there's a million and one things happening right now that's pushing out the smaller first-time landlords, accidental landlords, whatever you want to name it. However, where the real exciting big picture kind of output comes in, and I've been speaking to some pretty big institutions that are basically looking to try and scale really big, ambitious property portfolios in the UK. We're talking about 10, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 houses. So huge. So these guys have done their research on the data. They feel like right now in the UK is absolutely ripe to be able to become an institutional investor and hold stock. And that's what the government wants. So yes, there's a lot of negativity. Yes, we've got interest rate rises. That could be permanent. That could be temporary. Who knows? It could be that interest rate rises for a while and then either comes back down or stays where it is. But fundamentally, if you can set up a model that works over the long term and you can get over this short term. So you need to survive this short. This is the key to this, right? If you can survive the next couple of two years, three years, maybe by basically being able to service all of your debt that you've got in your properties. And I'm not saying you need to thrive, but the thriving will come after three years. You will be holding one of the most desirable commodities in the UK because you are seeing how much of a shortage there is in rental accommodation across the board in the UK at the minute. So yes, it's very, very negative on the short-term outlook, but the long-term outlook is extremely, extremely positive. And for anyone that has that prospect to look at, so over that long-term, it's so exciting because you're going to be holding a really, really valuable commodity. Trust me when I say this. So I think rents are not only going to 
keep increasing, but they're going to start to go to some pretty high levels um, because wages are increasing. So that allows for the rents to constantly go up because we've got some areas of the UK where, you know, people pay five, six hundred pound a month rent for a three bed terraced house or a three bed semi. And in the US, there's, that's unheard of. So in the US, that equivalent will be should be around maybe fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars a month. So in the UK, those you probably won't see those rents anymore. Those rents will start to become nine hundred, a thousand pound as the absolute norm. And I think the thousand to two thousand pound range is probably where you're going to start to see a lot of the average rents end up getting to. And that's because once institutional investors are getting in and they are getting in, they will start to push rents up because they control a larger part of the market. And the reason why we work with a lot of institutions is, again, we control deal flow. Institutions come to us to buy. So we're working with an organization that has basically scaled a 2,000 property portfolio. Same things that everyone buys, terrace houses, freehold houses, you know, 50 to 150,000 pound style houses. And that's how I know that a lot more institutions are getting into this market and wanting to scale. So that's just to talk about it from a point of view of an investment. As a trader... Are we being a bit more cautious? Probably, but at the same time, every week at the minute is different. And as I said to you, honestly, I could sell the same property three times over in a different week and it will sell for three totally different prices. So yes, we're being cautious, but the difference between now and 2008, right, is 2008 was an actual liquidity crisis. So that's when you saw things just drop off. What's going on right now is Liquidity is still very much in the market. It's just higher. It just costs a, a lot more. So this is why things are happening much, much slower. So it's a very much a probably getting to a point of just plateauing as opposed to this massive fall that everyone is kind of expecting in a way. So yeah. hopefully that answers your question. Yeah. So it's basically as long as it works today, just hold for the long term. And as you said there, you know, for you, is the properties aren't really about the cash flow. If you're going to hold something, it's you can buy something it's for the long term. So you've got the capital appreciation. So, uh, yes, I think if, if people want to look for high cash flow deals, probably single lets aren't the answer right now. Um, but, you know, you've got that strategy there if you want to pursue it. And then, you know, yeah. Well, one thing I'll say, though, as well, is this environment, if you can if you can build a portfolio in this environment, it will last forever in reality, right? And I'll obviously say that with a, with a pinch of salt, but I'm just saying in general, building a portfolio a year ago was way too easy. So building a portfolio a year ago was, was fine, but that doesn't mean you would have survived right now or you would survive right now. Building a portfolio right now will mean that you will survive. So it forces you to get better cash flow. It forces you to start looking at different strategies. And I mentioned we scaled our portfolio of single lets. You know, we are also looking at how do we improve cash flow? As I said, can we do social housing and get guaranteed rents in? You know, maybe we need to start looking at service accommodation on some of them to improve the cash flow. So we are having to really sweat the assets as much as possible. And I think this environment is is going to help people create a much better portfolio because they're working harder to create that rather than a year or two ago where it was just so easy to do and people just sat back creating portfolios, but not foreseeing what's going to happen, what's happening right now. Yeah. And at the moment, are you seeing because of the interest rate rises, that is, uh, you know, more people are coming to you just needing to sell like landlords, just this doesn't stack anymore. Too much going on. I can't, you know, it's not worth it. I mean, I think you'll be surprised. So we get a lot more. So the difference between what a lead is and what a deal is, is we're getting a lot more people inquiring, but we're still not getting people actually agreeing with the deal. So it's like, 
okay, I'm now exploring my options of I'm needing to sell or whatever as a landlord. You're absolutely right. But they're not they're not wanting to take that lower amount and they're not yeah. wanting to sell. So the motivation is not kicked in, but it's certainly on people's minds, 100%. Um, yeah, and I think the, 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 I when think, it comes to the crunch, they're not the they realize they're not as desperate as they thought they were. <laughs> well, this is exactly what you've just said is exactly explaining the point of there's plenty of liquidity in the market. It's just a bit more expensive. If there was no liquidity in the market, that desperation or that motivation will be a hundred percent, and they'll be like, yeah. "We'll take whatever you, you know, we'll take eighty yeah. percent or eighty-five, whatever it is." So there is still not enough motivation in the market, in my opinion, at this stage. That's interesting. Okay, so what does the next, what's the next twelve months hold for you? Do you think? Well, I mean, we honestly, we just want to enjoy what we're doing. So we're building a really good team out. We've got about fifteen members of the, of the team at the minute across the different departments and and companies. Um, we're enjoying trading so we are trading and this is quite uh even though people are like you know it, it's a tif- difficult market it's the absolute best market to trade in because when you get these ups and downs and swings if you can buy properties on a on a down week or a down month from someone because things look doom and gloom great as long as you've got the foresight to see beyond that and then sell it on an up month or up week or whatever yeah. then the trading conditions right now are absolutely brilliant and likewise if you're looking to buy things from an investment point of view now is a really good time because people are thinking, let me wait for a crash. There probably isn't going to be a crash. But I think if you can pick stuff up week for, you know, week to week, whatever, if you can pick stuff up on a bad week, just go for it. You know, don't don't overthink it and think, should I wait for this? Should No, just, just go for it, you know, because you're picking up a good deal anyway. Absolutely. And it, it might never happen. So you just be waiting and waiting. Then you've lost the opportunity cost of, you know, the getting the deal. Well, and then it could go up. And then I said to people, Michelle, as well. Honestly, people are like, you know, do you think we're going to have a recession? It's like I've, people have been talking about recession to me since 2015 when I first started investing. And we've done 170 deals today. So, you know, look what's happened. So I think don't time the market. It's just there's no point. No one no one's ever timed the market. Well, anyway, um, just go for it and, and just, you know, in 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 equities and, and in terms of investing, there's a saying that people say is pound cost averaging. So rather than trying to buy at the bottom and sell at the top, just buy every single year consistently, whether the market's up, down, sideways, doesn't matter. You'll average out your returns and your prices that you've paid over the long term. Yeah. And the other one, time in the market, not timing the market as well. So Perfect. that's important. Um, great. OK. And what about your investor club then? Is that um, at capacity or are you looking to take more people? I'm sure there's people going to be listening and thinking, right, well, I can't be bothered with all this source of malarkey. Can I join your club? Yeah, absolutely. So we've got a form. So I'll I'll drop it to you if you want to. Put it in the yeah. show notes. Um, they'll fill out the form so we'll understand more about the investor, what they're looking for. Are they looking for yield? Are they looking for discount, et cetera, et cetera, the regions? And then basically we'll set up a call with them. So we're not all about just trying to automate everything. We also want to have conversations with people and have the human element of it. So once they filled that out, we'll have a conversation with them. We'll explain what the club's about, how we can help them. And because I don't do mentoring and everything else, but as part of being in the club, you get a strategy call with me. So once you become basically a, a, a retained client, you will get a half an hour to 45 minute strategy call where we discuss, right, let's build your strategy and look and, and basically define what a deal looks like. So when we do get to a deal, we know that this fits your criteria. So that's what we do as, as part of you being in the club. And is there like a limit to how many people are in, like one in, one out, or is it just based no, on... No, not necessarily. I mean, we, we everything's about balance. So we have to balance the amount of deals that we have with the amount yeah. of, uh, of, of clients. But one thing we do is we always say to clients, if we don't find you a deal within three months that fits your criteria that we set, 
you can have your money back. You know, there's a money back guarantee. So we're not in it to try and string people along or anything like that. It's right. very much a case of it forces us to find you a deal within three months, guaranteed or your money back. Simple as that. Yeah, I guess people are looking for different types of deals and all over the country anyway. So exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, and, and it's a small commitment fee that people need to basically. But it's really just more of a it sits in our client account. We're not using that money until, you know, that they actually commit. Yeah. So, yeah. Fair enough. Great. Cool. All right, then. So where can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Uh, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and Instagram. So just my name, Safe Dersey, that's S-A-I-F, and then surname is Dersey, D-E-R-Z-I. I'll drop you the, the links if you want as well, Michelle. And um, yeah, I look forward to connecting people. I always say to people, you know, don't hesitate to reach out. It's always good to connect with people. I may be a bit busy with, uh, at certain times, but I'm always happy to try and, you know, get back to everyone uh, at a certain time. Brilliant. Well, cool. thank you so much for your time today. It's been absolutely fascinating and wish you all the best with the uh, with business. Thank you very much. Cheers, Michelle. Thanks very much. And for anyone else who is not yet a subscriber to the YPM magazine, click the link in the show notes for your free 30-day trial. We'll see you next time, guys.